Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Welcome, everyone, to the podcast that sadly has the same number of, of games scored in a row as our own Jason Robertson. Sigh. It's time to do a little wistful stargazing uh, and bringing in the big guns today. Taylor, how are you? Are you recovering from uh, the, the Toronto thing that happened? And yeah, uh, <laughs> it's been a minute since we've watched the stars just get absolutely goalied. First time this season. I, I would argue it um, is historically appropriate, both for this team and in general, that the the only thing that could end Jason Robertson's streak was, you know, arguably the greatest, you know, goalieing performance of the modern era by Matt Murray, not not the good Matt Murray, the the Matt Murray we dislike as ridiculous. a player, not as a person. I'm, he may be a lovely person on the ice. It's you got to throw the disclaimer in there. Yeah, you do. We don't know these guys personally, but you know, like we don't wish ill upon them outside of the rink. We just wish you would have, I don't know, been the sucky goaltender that you were. Yeah. Why did he have to play well, you know, against us? That's, that's just not cool, man. History I mean, is watching. It was for me, it was <laughs> definitely the moment of watching the deserve to win. O'Meter hit like 85 plus percent for Dallas and realizing it's just that kind of night. Like sometimes and, and it happens over the course of an 82 game season. You just hope that you have more going the other way than, than this way. And I would argue that Dallas has definitely been on the receiving end of, of the good luck dragon for the first 25 games of the year for 24. Yeah. I mean, we even talked about last week that if you, you know, they have been playing very well this season. It's been a good year. They deserve to be where they are, but they were getting a little bit lucky on the PDO. They were getting a little bit lucky, and you know there were there were some there were some warning lights on the dashboard. And it's not the worst thing in the world for a a team like the Stars that's still kind of building something, still kind of coming together. It's it's not the worst thing in the world for them to get a gut check game, and something that reminds you, you know, to the old the classic like remember Caesar, thou art mortal, right? It's it's not the worst thing in the world to remind this team that it's not always going to be. You know, the Pavelski and Suns line falls out of bed, scores a couple of goals, and the rest of the team, you know, contributes a little bit, and then that's all that they really need. I mean, there's definitely some warning signs. I think the other thing that happened, which I don't think has been talked about enough, and I I, I take some responsibility uh, on that as somebody who does cover the team, um, there was a really nasty stomach bug that was going mm-hmm. around the team and I think literally every guy probably caught it because it was I, I think that what we have kind of seen over the course of the last two weeks or so is you know there were just times where they looked sluggish yeah. and they just didn't look like 100% there mentally and a lot of the goals against have come from just epic collapses of you know like turning the puck over in your own zone um you're now you're not supposed to do that just to confirm that is correct that is <laughs> that is not the winning formula you know by serving you know pucks up on a platter to the opposition to put past your goaltender 
And then um, Jake Ottinger actually was one of the ones that I know had it. Um, and that's partly why he missed that game unexpectedly. Now, um, do you think, because he's also been, you know, as he came out of the gates, like, you know, the Calgary series was every night and had a fantastic October and then very much fell to earth during the month of November. Do you, do you think that those two things are linked? Um, you know, what's, what's your worry o meter on Jake Ottinger? He's, he's been inconsistent in the macro, let's just say to start the season. And how, how, do you, how is your feeling of you know, your read of him right now? But if the two were necessarily super linked, um, because Ottinger was just, he had that stomach bud like what a week ago or something. Yeah. Um, he missed that Saturday game. I think it was, um, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't say that, it, that November was wholly on him either though. Like, I don't think it's just the fact that he's let some in that in October he was, he saw the puck, like no matter what you did. And then November, it felt like, you know, he had holes the size of beach balls on him. But the problem I think what is more the defense playing in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dallas has had a lot more structural issues. I think in October when they were getting comfortable with the system that Pete DeBoer was trying to put into place, you know, they were really so focused on that defense first kind of mentality. Um, and then I think once they started to see the success bred of being defensively responsible, but being aggressive offensively, I think they got maybe a little too comfortable with the goal scoring because um, no lead is safe. Apparently, the Dallas Stars are decided that um, you know emphatically all goals all the time, um, and not that we're complaining because I would much rather watch a team lose six four than I would watch a team you know lose two nothing. Um, personally, <laughs> no. This this team is definitely high on entertainment value. That is one hundred percent the the vibe in the room. High octane, feel feel it, you know. Yep. Um, but I do think that that comfort or that like excitement of we can outscore our problems all of a sudden maybe made them a little bit too lax in the defensive department, like a little too aggressive the other way. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about this when we were discussing the power, or sorry, the penalty kill, and it's it's one of those good news, bad news, right? The good news is Dallas is a team that can come back from you know down five to one. The bad news is. Even the best team, and you know nobody does that all of the time. So if if you get too fixated on the if it's one of those if if your view of the situation is well, we came back against Minnesota, therefore this isn't a problem. That is dangerous because in this league, parity, salary cap, name a reason, you cannot afford to consistently go down. And come back. And yes, sometimes a a team like Dallas running the system that they run, sometimes you're going to get the explosion that puts you, you know, ahead. But you can't count on that. No, but, you know, the one thing I will say is, in, in a lot of ways, in my opinion, at least, being able to make those comebacks and actually earn points in games where it was absolutely, you know, almost all but guaranteed that they were walking out with nothing is hugely important. I mean, they're finding ways to lose in a good way, Yeah, you know, no, by, it's by forcing it into overtime and getting the, at least a point out of it. They haven't really had those situations where they're the ones with lo- trying to lock down a lead and giving it up at the end um, and, and being the ones forced into overtime. 
Like they're, they've been kind of more on the other end where they're the ones forcing the issue. Now yeah, you'd rather be a team that, that can come back for sure. Right. Um, so like, let's not lose that because I do think it is good. Um, at the same time, you know, back to your original question about Ottinger. I just think that, you know, this is part of the learning process of being a number one goaltender in and out throughout an 82 game schedule. I think every goaltender has months where, you know, they kind of, you know, drop a little or get a little lazy with their glove hand or, you know, whatever. And I do think that part of it, too, is that, you know, now that you've got 20-ish games, there it's no longer about small sample sizes with Dallas. Now everybody understands who they are and how they're trying to play. So, it reminds me of the old baseball adage, right? Where the second, you know, the second and third time through the lineup is when right. you really find out what a pitcher has. And I feel like Dallas is at that stage, right? And that that they're starting to there's there's tape now, right? There's a style, there's a kind of a clearly defined style here. The team plays a certain way. Like there's a lot and, and it's good, but but to your point, they're not a surprise anymore. Much, much the same as you know, Jason Robertson went through as a player, right? This this team is no longer sneaking up on anybody. And so what they do in this next phase is going to tell us a lot about, you know, the quality of, of the team, the coaches, every, everything. And at the same time, I would also argue that you're getting every team's best game mm-hmm. when they come, when you're playing against them. You know, there there are no nights where you're sitting there going, you know, oh, we're the Arizona Coyotes and nobody really expects anything out of us. And then you perform accordingly. I mean, this is, these are top, top teams in the, you know, out West and let's be the ones to take them down a peg. There's comfort that teams, you know, team mediocre teams or bubble teams or, you know, bad teams take from basically being like, well, we got, you know, we measured up against a top team and look at how we did. Dallas isn't the backup goalie team anymore. We are not. So, so yay. (laughs) it's so fun here (laughs) it is and and part of why i bring this up right and this is you know it's it is still good but but this is a really good moment i think for the stars to reality check right so as as we record this podcast they're in the middle of the ottawa game they they just finished the first period when we started recording so situation is still fine they're second place in the conference behind the jets 33 points through 26 games it's good spot to be plus 22 goal differential good spot to be however there we, we talked about warning lights earlier the issue with the Stars is they've now lost two in a row. They got a point out of one of those games, but they've lost two in a row. They have games in hand, either one or two or three even, against most of the teams. And if you look at the teams they're competing against, right, I'm kind of discounting, you know, take take the Blues, Coyotes, and Blackhawks out of the equation for a second. The Predators are 7-2-1, and one, right? Colorado's hurt, 5-5-0, five, five, and zero, defending champs, get a little bump. Minnesota, 6-4-0. Uh, Winnipeg seven three and zero right. So as good as the start of Dallas's season has been, the teams around them are catching up. This is not a situation where they've built this insurmountable lead. They're kind of looking back at the competition and, and thumbing their nose. Like they are very much in the thick of a very crowded Central Division. And much like you know some of the in-game stuff we've been talking about. They've got some work to do to make sure that the start of the season isn't just, you know, it's not as extreme, but, you know, poking fun at an old, old foe. Like how many times has Buffalo started off the season on an absolute heater and then lost, you know, 40 in a row, right? So Dallas has some work to do to to solidify where they are. Yeah, 
disagree, but you know, and I saw this this criticism where somebody said Dallas has to start beating good teams someday. Look, you can only play the schedule in front of you. They can't control the quality of the opponent that they're playing or over this recent stretch or anything like that. And I would argue that they've had some hell of battles, Florida, Tampa, mm-hmm. forcing that to overtime. Yeah, they had a poor showing against Toronto, but Toronto is on a hell of a heater themselves. They're, mur- they're straight up murdering kids. Well, and, and I would argue that, you know, and this is a stupid thing that losers do, but if you take the score out of the equation, if you were to just, you know, again, don't show me the scoreboard, just show me the game. Wouldn't you take their performance against the Avalanche 10 times out of 10? Yeah. Like what was what was what was wrong with that game except for the fact that the other goalie played an all-time, you know, played a worldie in front of him. You mean against Toronto or against Colorado? Hold please. Which one are we talking about? You mean Toronto, right? Yeah, Toronto. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. like I'm saying you if, if you just look at the performance of the stars, like I'm okay I'm okay with how they played against Toronto. I mean, the penalty stuff is awful and needs to stop yesterday, but like overall, I'm pretty okay with how things went against the Avalanche. The thing is, is that the schedule is only going to get harder. You know, they're going to have more stretches where they're going to have nothing but Central Division teams one, one after another after another. It's going to be an interesting learning curve to see where Dallas takes it from here. They're starting to hit a little bit of adversity. And honestly, I actually prefer that. And here is why. I present the 2019 Tampa Bay Lightnings. I think it was the 2019. Where they had gone to the Stanley Cup final like the year before and got swept the following year in the first round. Yeah. Because they just breezed through the season, top team in the league, you know, President's Trophy winners, and they just thought they could just, you know, skate through whatever. And I don't think that's the winning combination. You don't just coast your way into the Stanley Cup. So... The hockey gods don't like that, for sure. Yeah, like, in some ways, it's good that they're facing this adversity, and I'd rather it be in November, December of the year versus, you know, trying to figure out, figure it out in March. Well, and and I'd rather it be, I'd rather it be in November and December, and I'd rather it be when the stars have already banked as many points as they had. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is the time and this is the place. Like, we've, we've talked about it. The penalties are a major issue. The, the silly mistakes are an issue. The, there are some inconsistencies that, you know, all of these things are problems that need to get worked out. Dallas has the luxury of solving those problems as the second best team in their division right now. Right. And, and that is much better than being a team, you know, like St. Louis, where you have a lot of the same problems, only you also have to make up a gigantic point deficit. Right. So it's, it's one of those, yes, there are, it's, it's, you know, there's good and there's bad here. Yes. There are things that the stars need to fix, but they are fixable things. And we have a lot of evidence telling us that this is a good team and a good team capable of fixing those fixable things. And that's what I was going to say. These are all very fixable mistakes. And honestly, I think some of them are just, it's, it's mental. Dallas has actually had a couple of stretches um, here where, I mean, hell this week, they're playing four games in seven nights. Yeah. Four games in seven nights or days, I guess, because they had a day game on Monday. I mean, days and nights, same, same difference. Whatever. 24 hour periods. Yes. Um, You know, and then they had, a similar stretch, you know, around Thanksgiving. 
Thanksgiving. I mean, they played Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. That, and then again on Monday. Like, that's a lot of hockey. And so is it surprising to see a 4-1 loss to Colorado in that stretch? No. It was their fourth game in, how, you know, six nights. Like, a lot of the mistakes, in my opinion, that we're seeing, they're not system. They're not, you know, they're not bugs. No. features they are mental mistakes that just come from the grind of an 82 game schedule i, I think they get them sorted i agree and i think the proof of that is going to be we you know we've talked about you can't afford these you can't afford streaks bad ones right and it's it's this has so far this is a dallas team that when they on on the small you know the few moments where they've wobbled this season they've been able to quickly get things steady Quickly get things back on the on the rack on the um, on the rails, and we're just gonna have to hope that they they're able to do the same, right? There's there's an experienced coach, a good coach, and um, there's a lot of talent here. There's veteran experience. Like we we have a team that that has a good blend of you know kids that are too dumb to know they're in trouble, and veterans that have been there before and know they're not in trouble, and you know, and and you have to think that that this is a team that can get itself out of these funks and, and, you know, not let a two game, three game, not let a little, you know, little wobble turn into a double digit losing streak that undoes the benefits of the start of the season. So the too long didn't read version, not trying to panic. No, there's no reason to be panicking. If you're a stars fan right now, it's a season of cheer. Can, <laughs> I mean, can we talk for heaven's sakes, the Dallas Stars have the NHL's leading goal scorer at the moment. Okay, like there is, there is only anymore. so much bad that can be attached to that. You're dealing with some outdated stats there. He's not anymore. Connor okay. McDavid had to go and do Connor McDavid things. He's a hack. And surpassed him for the leading goal scorer. But still, James Robertson is the second best goal scorer in the league, uh, which is no small feat. Like, especially in a season where offense is up across the league, like, the fact that he's even in the same breath as Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid and Matthew Barzal and some of these like prolific established goal scorers. I mean, I don't know if we've truly taken a, a moment to appreciate the two plus point of pace that Jason Robertson was on during his 18 game point streak. That is unheard of at the NHL level. That is that is some junior hockey shit right there. <laughs> it's amazing. And and it, this is the, the joke being he, thanks to him missing training camp, he did it ha- despite a slow start. I think he only had seven points in his first six games. So clearly he was impacted by not having a full training camp and he was still able to overcome that and <laughs> do what he's done over the last, you know, 20 games. This. Um, I think it was after the game in which he, he extended it to 18, 18 straight. He said, you know, a bunch of GMs are going to start getting calls about um, how this has worked out for Jason Robertson. And he's like, you know, before too long, Jason Robertson might get the entire preseason canceled. <laughs> <laughs> guys are doing this. It was, it's really funny in a lighthearted moment. And the one thing I will say in being around the team and being around the locker room and being around the guys this year is there is a sense of levity in this group that hasn't really been there. Now I get that winning helps. 
and I get it, but having success helps. Um, but these guys are just having a blast playing the game of hockey, and they are led by Jason Robertson in that. Robertson shows up to every practice, every morning skate, every on-ice session, just completely the same. Just like he is literally Danny Rojas incarnate. <laughs> Hockey is life. He is life. We're just here to have some fun. We only need um, to worry if they get a team it. dog. Well, I don't think that'll be happening because we have to, they have a team cow, remember? <laughs> That's true. That's true. And it's harder to kill a cow with a puck. Thank goodness. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's incredible. And I think what's been really fun is some of the other opposing players. I believe it was on ESPN today. Um, Greg Wyshynski made a ranking of top lines in the NHL. He did, yes. And you will never guess who came in first. It was the uh, it was the Tyler Sagan line, I believe. Absolutely, that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it, yeah. I, I, it was a good piece, and and very very fittingly gave propers to Pavelski and Sons. I'd like to read this particular quote um, from Ryan O'Reilly, um, captain of the St. Louis Blues. He said, I just remember playing against them. You had to work to close that gap and be tight to them because if you weren't close, they're dynamic. They're going to be making plays if there's that separation. They'll just eat you up. One little breakdown, one little bit of separation. The next thing you know, it's in the back of the net. So it's extremely tough against those guys. I mean, how many times have we seen that? What was it? It was, uh, I believe, last season, their streak of scoring in the first minute of games, right? They're, this is a, a line that really can turn a single mistake into a goal against. It's fantastic. And they do it in such different ways. Like, in each guy, like, I think one of the most interesting parts to this line is that you don't have a traditional defensive forward set or uh, passer or playmaker and sniper. All three of these guys can can play that role at any point in a game. They can. And I do think as well, what I hope that we get out of this is that, yes, Jason Robertson deserves all the praise and the attention and the credit he's getting. I hope that some of this helps us realize just how important um, Rupe Hintz is. And a lot of, you know, it's, it's one of those, like, he sometimes gets overshadowed and let us not lose sight of the fact that part of why this line works so well is obviously the the veteran savvy of of Joe Pavelski and the you know the the scoring instincts of Jason Robertson. But it's helped by the fact that there's a guy that is you know he might be the best player across the entire rink. You know, Robertson is clearly the best scorer, but Hints might be the best player on that line. He just does everything. There's there's no there there's no facet of the game that that hence does not do, and I think that the impact that that has in enabling the success of his line mates cannot be overstated. Are you saying that Ruby Hintz is the Miro Heiskin in the forwards? I think I might be. Yeah, yeah, I think I might be. I just feel like he's he is. You know, he reminds me a lot of of how they used to talk about Yuri Letnin and that oh. <laughs> he is his excellence is situation independent. You can put him anywhere, right? And and you can in his his role on any given shift in any his Kathleen Rupe Hintz is the Miro Haskin of Yuri Letnin's. But like he could if if the line if you need to 
if you need to lock down an opposing forward, right? Hints is probably the best guy on the roster to do it. If you need to have a forward, you know, blister in on the four check, win about, you know, win a foot race to the puck, it's probably hints, right? If you need a guy to set a goal, it, it just name name a task, and then tell me who's better at that task amongst Dallas forwards than than hints, right? And the only argument you really get is, well, you know, Jason Robertson's probably a better pure scorer, right? He's he's the guy that's that's putting it in the back of the net, but I mean, it's real hard to to find fault with anything hints does right now. I think the only thing that I would give a forward an edge on is Joe Pavelski and his tippins. Mm-hmm. Hints doesn't really do that. No, Not but that I mean, Hints is a guy that, that it, he definitely could, but he just doesn't have to play that role. He doesn't. That that's a good point. But but he is a guy that it is entirely plausible that he could score forty plus goals. It is also entirely plausible that he could win a Selkie Trophy, and that is insane. And you know, it it takes a a line mate on an all time heater to draw her. Like it was funny, like in, in over the past week, you know, we had the number one center for the team sign an eight year contract. We had the, you know, the, the young number one goaltender get a shutout and nobody really gave a crap because of what Jason Robertson was doing. And that's pretty, I did did appreciate um, Jake Oninger after, after, um, <laughs> Somebody asked him about Robo's ridiculous streak. He's like, or they asked him something about the 2017 draft because that's kind of become the core for Dallas between Miro, Ottinger, and and Robertson. And I think it's kind of funny that people forget that Robertson was was drafted in the second round. Um, well, he can't skate, Taylor. Shooter. He yeah, he literally yeah. does not know how to skate. He's just. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna have a GoFundMe set up to get the poor kid skating lessons. It'll be at the end of the episode. Listen on for the details. It's it's a modern tragedy. He's he was born without feet. He can't skate. It's just a shame. But he's overcome. Oh man! But Ottinger joked with us and said, um, "Yeah, you know, the only thing that I kind of think about with that draft is the fact that I was drafted ahead of Robo. That's about all I have on it." Which is insane because I watched the Calgary series and also insane because he might be right. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, there's so much to like about, about Dallas. And, um, I (laughs) also like while we're having this conversation, I just imagine Miro Haskinen just sitting quietly in the back of the locker room, nodding along. Like, yeah, pretty good. good." Oh, for sure. (laughs) Just like, yeah, no, they're great. We're talking. We're spending all this time talking about the guys on the roster and potentially, you know, literally the best player on the team. We haven't even mentioned him because we are just so. This is this is part of the problem that is Miro. We are so numb to his excellence that you just kind of forget about it. You're just like, oh yeah, he's all world, right? Huh? In a okay. in a lot of ways, I think it's easy for Stars fans to feel that way about the top line too, because we we watched them play like this last season, all of last yeah, year. They've never been bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once put together, that that trio has not really struggled very much. So, I mean, just what a time to be alive. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting um, somebody that I know from hockey Twitter. Big, big analysis guy. On TV it was. It wasn't Tiffin, was it? It was. It was not Tiffin. Personally, okay. um, <laughs> I've met him many, many times. I have his phone number, and I would just text him and be like, "Hey." 
Um, <laughs> we will be, of course, putting Tiffin's phone number in the. Him. We'll be announcing his phone number in this episode as well. So call him. <laughs> um, but I got to meet him, and and, and um, he's done some work with evaluating prospects, and he said that Dallas has become one of the best organizations because they have managed to find all of these fantastic guys and overlook the criticisms of Robertson and his skating, understanding that that is a skill set that can be taught when hockey IQ and scoring touch and those other things are harder to come by. And that Dallas has this amazing stable. And he said, it's really kind of fascinating to me. This isn't verbatim, but basically he was like, it's kind of fascinating that Dallas has been able to transition to that young core almost seamlessly. It's what every team talks about wanting to be able to do when they're talking about a retool and Dallas has managed to pull it off. It's, it's astonishing. I mean, it's, it's another, you know, nobody is perfect. Nobody will ever be perfect. But I, I, you know, one of the hills that I'm willing to die on is that Jim Neal knows what he's doing, right? Because in this, the, the crazy thing is this isn't even the first time he's had to make that transition, right? I mean, once upon a time, Dallas was the, you know, Sagan Spezza Ben line, right? And so this is like the third generational transition that this team has undergone just over the course of, sorry, fourth, if you count, you know, when, when Ben came in, Madonna was still on the team and there was still, you know, it's sort of this, this team has undergone it. If you actually kind of take a deep breath and, and dig through hockey reference, this is a team that has managed to retool. And, and I'm not saying every year was an unqualified success. There were some downs as well, but like this team hasn't needed a bleak multi-year hopeless rebuild to, to get the cupboard restocked. And that's, that's kind of cool. When you look at the Edmonton Oilers of the world or you look at the Buffalo Sabres of the world, it just goes to show that having a, a scouting staff that knows what they're doing, a GM that trusts their scouting staff and um, you know are all in sync and on the same page organizationally as a whole that has um, values that they not only talk about but also live out in the way in which they draft, develop, whatever. I'm not saying that every guy's been, you know, an unmitigated success. That's not how this works. There are going to be guys that fail for one reason or another. And a lot of times people want to blame org. Others want to play player. I'm always of the opinion that it's probably a little bit of both. So it hasn't been all, all stellar, but it's definitely something you can be envious of if you are a fan of this organization because you can just see the quality of people that run this team through the way in which they put the team together. Through it, it the has way, to like it does, and you know, okay. So not to get us off track and, and you know talk about there was there was a track. Things. <laughs> I mean, it's more. We're like just a, riffing, man. It's more like a piece of spaghetti. But a lot, I've seen a lot of fans talking about. Oh, Dallas needs to go out and acquire a guy like Patrick King. And I always kind of sit back and I wonder: Is that a player that fits the culture that Jim Nill has established here? And I'm not saying that Dallas hasn't taken on project players because they have but the project players have been because of on ice performance not off ice stuff and i do know that 
when they talk about drafting and interviewing and stuff with prospects, character is what usually, if you go back and listen to Jim Neal talk about draft picks, character is almost always a word that he throws out there that he's looking for. I mean, think about this. Ty Delandria was a captain on his team. When they talk about the leadership core, it, it goes like eight or ten guys deep. And yeah, I mean, even though it was ultimately futile, I think it's impossible to look at the apocalyptic winter slash COVID season. And even though that team did not manage to crawl into the playoffs, the fact that it was even close, I think is exactly what you're talking about. This is a team that has been able to weather tremendous amounts of adversity. This is a team. I mean, they made a cup, they made the bubble cup final, right. And in the middle of, you know, the, the really scary first year part of the pandemic, this is a team that went and locked itself away in Canada for two weeks and, you know, almost won a championship. It was two months. Sorry, two months. Yes. Like, and think about that. Two months of not being able to see your family, your friends. I mean, well, actually, a lot of us can imagine it because we went through it in our own homes. I was going to say. <laughs> but, but you know, and, and but, while all of this was going on, you know, they had catastrophic they during this whole stretch right ben bishop's career effectively ended due to injury and, and tyler sagan's leg exploded and you know all of the in just even even if you remove the global pandemic slash total isolation aspect of it like even if you discount that this was a team that was dealing with drama on top of it right they they you know think about how close they were think about the pressure that this team must have been feeling before game seven against colorado Right. And and then coming back and winning that one in overtime. Right. This is a team that there's there's something to it. They've they've been able to integrate new pieces. They've been able to consistently find at least some measure of success, not always as much as we'd like, but the wheels have have seldom come off. They've overcome some deficiencies and it seems like they're in a pretty good spot. We're really going to end this on a super positive note. We started off kind of super negative. Well, that's the Dallas Stars, Taylor. I mean, that's that's the nature of the piece. It's you know, it's it's come kind of yinning to that yang right like they've done a lot but at the same time they're they're on a two game losing streak and the rest of the conference is tightening up so this this is not a time to be pausing and patting on the back and they're they're going to have to you know we, the penalty thing is absurd and insane and it's it's going to it's the sort of thing that will kill a team in the playoffs when all of a sudden you're playing against another coach that can game plan against you right like knowing that knowing that Dallas is going to do half a dozen stupid things over the course of a 60 minute game and give you power plays is a pretty tremendous advantage in a seven game series so there there's some stuff that needs to get fixed and you know I'd, I'd really like to see Jake Ottinger be more October than November over the next couple of weeks that'd be great um you know hopefully Robertson bounces back and and the shock of and the disappointment of ending the point streak doesn't turn into a you know snowball and and hopefully you know Sagan can get get the production trending the right direction and Ben doesn't vanish and Johnston doesn't hit the rookie wall and 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 and, and. so there's there's a lot but they they still have you know, 33 points through 26 games and are seconds in the division. And that's a real good spot to be. Yeah, it really is. I'm sorry. I, I'm laughing only because the stars just showed an intermission game in which it was the running of the bulls and they had people dressed in inflatable cow outfits. And oh my gosh, Classic. <laughs> Dallas stars can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. So we'll close. We will close with this. I'm going to ask you a question. You usually do. I have to. It's it is the way. So Nils Lundqvist came back in to the lineup 
um, after I believe the two game absence, you know, looking, look, getting, getting a little bit of a breather, young, young kid, young defenseman. What do you think we're going to be saying about Lundqvist at the end of this season? Where, where is he going to be? He's going to be probably a real consideration for a solid top form contributing role. You know, I think that people forget how young he is. And also, it doesn't help when Miro Haskinen just makes it all look so damn easy um, out there. You know, but I think he's learning, and I think there's a lot of promise there. I Realistically, and I know that the trade deadline is a long way off, and I know that there are probably going to be other things that crop up. And if you were to ask me today what Dallas needed, they need a second-line right wing, play with Marchmont and Sagan. Um, and that's like the glaring hole to get that consistent second line going. Um, but I would actually like to see them make some upgrades on defense because um, I think I've had enough of the Yon- of the Yanni Hawk and Paul Ryan Suter experiment. Um, and yeah. so I think it doesn't help when you're having to pair Lundqvist next to one of those two guys. And I don't think that the long-term solution is actually Haskinen and Lundqvist on the ice together. It honestly, it reminds me not, not in the sense of they have the same play style, but it reminds me of the cup winning era stars and you didn't, they didn't pair five on five, generally speaking, you you would tend to split up Zuboff and Sidor and Matt Pachuk and Hatcher, right? The same, same, right? I think the best version of this team, you want those two players, in this case, Haskinen and Lundqvist. Yes, there will be scenarios in which you want to play them together, but I think the best version of this team long-term is the ability to have each of those guys anchor their own pairing to give Dallas kind of more depth and, and the ability to put, you know, not to kind of condense everything on a single unit. Exactly. But yeah, I guess we can leave off our discussion about the Ryan Suter, Yanni Hockenpah pairing for another day. But I don't think there's I, anything to discuss. They're bad, man. They got to fix it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not good. I'm I mean, just pretending the entire problem is Hockenpah having to wear a cage right now. And as soon as it's gone, it'll be fine. <laughs> it's like his power will be restored. Yeah. I don't know. Power to be not bad. They're just, Maybe it's just bad. Average, I don't know. What are we doing? Suter yeah, is like, the, is you know, whenever you like make a point, right? You always want the, the, the contradiction that proves the exception to prove the rule. Ryan Suter is that to Jim Nill's ability as a general manager. Like, no, he is not flawless. Look at Ryan Suter, but there's other stuff. I do think that there might be some off ice stuff that like, we don't see that. I do believe this full, full and wholeheartedly that, I don't think he's completely useless. I think that he's a step behind, and I think it is leading to a lot of penalties, which is leading to him being out on the penalty kill a lot. And not like him being just a step behind has kind of caused like his partner to have to try to over mm-hmm. play to try bu- to like. A bunch of guys are having to compensate, and this isn't yeah. necessarily a defensive core that has guys that can compensate. Exactly. <sighs> but I know that Lundqvist, you know, today he said that the number one guy that he relied upon when he kind of had his little reset was Ryan Suter because you had mentioned it earlier about 
the veteran experience and the being there and knowing that it's not going to always be this way and, you know, you're going to come out of it. And so I do think it's nice to have that on the back end because you do have some relatively younger pieces, you know, going, but we can talk about this topic um, next time. We'll bring we'll all do our homework and bring more to the table to discuss that pairing. And you heard it folks, Suter, Suter cast coming up next. Everybody's favorite subject. <laughs> That'll be fantastic. We we will only to the next pot. We will only talk about Ryan Suter. Oh man. Okay. It so last last thing, and then we'll end it. I'm just going to take it, it, advantage of the fact that we're recording this in the middle of a game. Who <laughs> wins tonight? Go on the record. It's in Ottawa. Yeah. Dallas, obviously. Who gets the game winner? Final, final score, game winning goal. Go. Mira Haskinen for the hat trick. Oh, I love it. I love where your head is at. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to co-sign your prediction. That's just, I want that in the universe. I'm going to say, I want it. I want four, two. Haskin gets his hat trick. Roberts, uh, Robertson starts another scoring streak. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you as always, Taylor. Glad you could join the podcast. KT, thank you for working the zeros and the ones and making this all sound fantastic. Uh, please remember, download the podcast, like the podcast, probably listen to the podcast, tell your mom about the podcast. Um, any questions, we're all on the socials, reach out, and uh, we cannot wait to sit down and do this again. Thank you.